Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Turfgrass Epistemology. I'm Travis Shaddix. It is February 21st, 2024. So glad you could join us. We're going to get started here pretty quick. We've been going over nitrogen. And the last week or so, we've been going over nitrogen-stabilized products like MBPT, DCD, these types of products. And um, we're going to continue going over that today. And then later tonight, we're going to probably do a comments and email episode tonight, um, some voicemails and things like that for the show later on tonight. But I want to give my guests an opp <clears throat> the opportunity to, uh, to speak today because there's, there's only, I don't know what the number is. I'm going to be wrong on this, but there's probably 10 people in, in turfgrass science that are really truly pillars of the turfgrass science community. And I'm very fortunate to have one of those on with me today, Dr. Nick Christians. How are you, Nick? I'm doing real good. If there's by some strange chance that somebody listening does not know who you are, would you mind giving us a once over on your background and how you got to where you're at? Um, well, going way back, I was a superintendent uh, on a golf course in uh, Pueblo West, Colorado. This was after I got out of uh, my undergraduate degree at Colorado State. Um, I worked there for, I think, uh, two, three years. And then I went uh, on to graduate school at Ohio State University, uh, where I got my master's and uh, Ph.D. work. <clears throat> I then started here at Iowa State in uh, 1979. And I just retired in August of last year, August 31st. So I was here about 44 and a half uh, years. And uh, I am emeritus. I still have an office. I'm in my office now and I have a computer and that sort of thing. But I am officially retired and I kind of come and go as I like. So it's a it's a pretty good thing to be. It's a good gig. <laughs> it's a good gig you're in. You deserve it. Yes. <laughs> so, so welcome. I appreciate you coming on today. I know um, your time is, is uh, you're busy and so forth, even in, in emeritus status. So I appreciate you coming on. And Nick, basically... What I do here is I go over people's um, research and I specifically target a paper and I'm, I discuss that paper. And with my insecurities, I don't want to mess up your paper or your work. So when I can, I try to have people, the author on like yourself so that I don't mess it up, basically. <laughs> so um, we've been going over, uh, like I said, on the, on, the, on the introduction, we've been going over MBPT and uh, DCD and the nitrogen stabilized products for the last week or so. And I don't know if Young Ju was your grad student or was he a faculty member? Or I don't know, but he published. No, he was a uh, he was my first PhD student. Okay, and this was part of his PhD work. Uh, he was uh, he's from Korea. Okay, went back to Korea where he had a very uh, good um, career. He was uh, department head a couple of times hmm. uh, at um, Yonsei University. Uh, he's now retired and is working in uh, Vietnam for a. Um, Oh. Uh, economic aid program that Korea has with Vietnam. Oh, okay. Perfect. So he was your first PhD in, in, in the late 80s, when he was there, basically, late 80s and then into the early 90s, there was uh, probably five or six papers in a variety of different journals that, that he and you published. And I went over one yesterday. There's another one or two I think I will go over, I don't know, maybe next week. I can't remember. But then there's this paper here that I'd like to, that I asked you to come on and talk about um, with, with uh, turf response, really. So the one we went over yesterday was more like plant uptake in the shoots or the clippings and so forth. But there wasn't like a, a turf quality or color or anything like that component to that particular pro, um, study. 
And so I wanted to go have you come on and talk about this paper, which is entitled The Evaluation of Urease Inhibitors as Urea Amendments for Use on Kentucky Bluegrass Turf. And this you guys published in Crop Science in 1992. So for those of you in the audience, if you're new, this, these papers oftentimes um, are behind paywalls. You have to be mm-hmm. a member to, to get it, or you can get it through your library. You can go to um, any university library and probably pull it up and find it. Or you can just go to the, the organization's website and at least read the abstract. If you're interested in learning a little bit more about it, you can at least kind of understand the basic conclusions and the basic concept of what they did in the abstract for free online right now. Um, but Nick, you know, what I'll do is I'll go through introduction materials and methods, but when the author's on, if you can, I just try to ask you, you know, what, what brought this project on? What was the motivating force behind it? You know, how did it get started? And give us, give us a once over. Uh, first of all, Jan was um, an incredible student. I, um, I got spoiled by him. He was the first one. Mm. <clears throat> when he went to his uh, dissertation defense, he had five um, uh, completed papers that he could give the committee. So he, I mean, it was already published all his work. That's a lot. Which make, as you know, makes his life makes your life really uh, easy. Oh yeah. Uh, Grant Spear was a master's student. In fact, I didn't even remember that Grant was on that paper, but I see it up there. He was a master's student. Uh, and then Dr. Bremner, are you familiar with Dr. Bremner? I know the last name. Time? But I don't remember John. Yeah, he was very famous back uh, when we worked with him. He was probably well into his 60s or 70s. Okay. Uh, but he uh, he's the uh, Keldall guy. Oh. And uh, he he was known as the Bureau of Standards in Nitrogen. And he was in the uh, Russian Academy of Sciences and the American Academy of Sciences. And this he was a really big deal. He said at, at Iowa State. Okay. In agronomy, and we were lucky enough to be able to work with him on this. And he was working with um, urease inhibitors at the time in agriculture, so mm. it um, it really worked out well. We had a lot of the methodology and stuff is from him and his his students. So okay, that was a huge advantage to be able to uh, to do that. Definitely. So, John and Grant, and you, how do you pronounce you? It's young, Yon. That's how you pronounce his first yeah, name? Young, 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 just like a young person. He, he yeah, tells me he's young. forever young, <laughs> which he Well, has. you know, he was your first PhD student, and he got five papers out. So was it downhill from there? I mean, how, how did you pull well, that he's off? Got a, no, he's got a lot of papers in Korea. No, I mean, so for he, you, he, for graduate students oh, from your program. I mean, uh, your first student has five I, papers. I had one that had seven. <laughs> okay. Um, um, but... I also had some where I had to push and yeah, <laughs> shove and, sure. and, uh, and help him get them out and stuff like that. He, um, he made life easy because he would, uh, I don't know if you ever work with Korean students and, and mm-hmm. I know things have changed a little bit, but at that time the work ethic was absolutely incredible. Okay. <clears throat> they would come in. Um, he, he would always hold the door for me and bow, oh, okay. the door, which was a little different. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, he would work till two o'clock in the morning. Wow. Uh, I, 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 he had just an incredible work ethic, which was the case with the, uh, the Korean students and Chinese students at that time. The, the work ethic was absolutely amazing. That, that's changed some, but it's still hmm. pretty good. So he was, uh, he was, uh, really good to work with. Good deal. Good deal. Well, five is substantial for any student. Um, so you got another one with seven. Do you have any idea or do you have a number on how many students have you graduated, either master's or PhD? Oh, uh, well, over 70, master's 70. and PhD. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, PhD, I'd have to go back and count. Probably ten or twelve. Okay. Okay. Um, well, it might be. It might be fifteen. I. I don't know. I'd have yeah. to go back over the years. Forty-four years, you lose track. Yeah. I remember a lot of them, but then yeah. stuff like this comes up, and all of a sudden, you you see you forgot people, <laughs> like Grant. <laughs> so I can think of four, but there's probably more. I can think of four professors at un, un, universities in the United States that were your former masters or PhD students. Are there more than four? I can think of at least four, oh, maybe five, uh, maybe five or well, six. Well, there's two down in Florida that you knew. Well, there's, um, there's three, aren't there? Oh, now there's three. Yeah. Well, although the last one was um, officially Adam's student. I was helping out, but yeah. Adam's primary. Oh, he was, oh he was there a There are oh. three Iowa Staters. There's three okay. Iowa Staters down there now. Yeah. Um, around the world, now some of them are retired, actually. There were guys that my students retired before I did. <laughs> Uh, I had one in Hungary. Okay. Uh, and um, let's see. Anyway, yeah, I would have to go back through my resume, and then I go, oh yeah, and then there was this guy and this guy. It's, <laughs> it's it's not something I keep track of every day. Okay. Well, so on this study here, when we're talking about urease inhibitors on Kentucky bluegrass turf, the um. You want to just give us a once over on what you did and you know how you did it and all yeah. that stuff? <clears throat> well, uh, if they've uh, had a chance to look at the paper, they know there's two parts to it. There's a, a laboratory and a greenhouse project, which mm-hmm. is the, a good way to run a study like this. <clears throat> First of all, we wanted to know is on surface applied urea on turf, <clears throat> is there any benefit to using the urease inhibitors uh, to reduce um, volatilization of ammonia? And, okay. um, but what you got to realize is that in the greenhouse, we set up the ideal situation for volatilization. Yeah. We use chambers like little greenhouses. We um, we had pots in there. We uh, applied the um, uh, urea different rates with different urease inhibitors to the surface. And then we put forced air over it. So that is that if you're going to get volatilization, that's yeah. the way you're going to get it. And sure. That was very successful. The urease inhibitors were quite effective, as you can see. I don't remember the exact percentages, mm-hmm. but it was, um, we'll show they them. were both quite effective. In, in previous work, um, the NBPT was the most effective in terms. They were fairly similar in this in this initial study, but NBPT was the one that we chose for the field trial. Okay. Now, the fact that it inhibits your, uh, uh, ammonia volatilization in a closed chamber doesn't mean it's got any practical use in the field. So we went to the field with it for a two-year study, hmm. and that's a little harder to show. That um, We did get uh, one time in the second year of the study, it was a two-year field study, where the NBPT did reduce or did increase clippings and quality and so on, mm-hmm. uh, but it was, it was a long stretch. It wasn't nearly as effective in the field as it was in the greenhouse. And it, that you've worked with these sorts of things, you know, you'd probably expect that. Yeah. <clears throat> but we wanted to verify both because mm. uh, you, you only get people all excited and say, oh yeah, you're going to reduce volatilization by 50%. Um, yes. Maybe in a controlled system in the field, it's probably not going to be quite that grand and glorious. Yeah. Now we did go on with other studies Um and we found that um, if we watered the urea in, 
that would eliminate the volatilization. So you could put down um, uh, NBPT with the urea and reduce it considerably, or you could water it in. Now, in most cases, we're going to water in in the field. Yeah. But there are situations where this would have some, uh, some benefit. One of them would be lawn care, where you're applying urea with uh, broadleaf herbicides, mm-hmm. and you want to leave it on the surface, and that does happen. You, you don't want to water in for a couple of days, and there you do get significant volatilization. <clears throat> and then uh, the other, let's see, I had two of them. Um, um, oh, uh, lawn care. Often the customer is not home to water it in. So you see, you leave a note saying water in, and it doesn't get done for two or three days. Now there you would get with urea, you would get uh, probably some significant volatilization. Now you could also use coated materials and other things to reduce this. Mm-hmm. But if it's straight urea, you can get some volatile loss. But if watering in is going to solve your problem. So then it becomes a question of economics and what's yeah. worth it and what's not worth it. Uh, so that's kind of a, a summary of, of what we found. Yes, yes, it works. Mm-hmm. Uh, does it have practical significance? Maybe in some situations, in many situations, no. Yeah. Uh, it's um, it's kind of up to you. Yeah. Now the the other part of this is economics, and uh, we we looked into that. Um, and of course, the prices are going to vary from time to time and, and materials. But we, um, my son became a golf course superintendent in the Chicago area uh, about, oh, I don't know, 10, 12 years after the study was done. <clears throat> and he inherited a whole bunch of products from the former superintendent, all sorts of different things. Hmm. And one of them was a uh, urea fertilizer with both a um, urease inhibitor and a nitrification inhibitor in it to reduce nitrogen loss. Mm-hmm. Now, we, we looked at it, and he had the uh, packing slip on it. Uh, urea was selling for about $0.62 cents a pound at that time. It's a lot more now, but $0.62. Cents. Uh, and the material with the, with the treatment was $10 a pound. Oh, wow. So that's... now you, you start thinking about the economics. If you save 2 or 3% of your nitrogen... Um, can you afford to spend that much money on doing that? And that's kind of a stretch. So you got to you got to take into account economics too. It, it yes, this can work. It can have some benefit, but you got to weigh that. Particularly if you're in business, the way lawn care people are, uh, you've got to weigh that against the bottom line. Is it is it worth it for me or not? And it may be in your situation. It may not be. Yeah, we we went over economics a little bit. I think, like I said, this, many of the viewers uh, who are familiar with my channel know that I I harp on that quite a bit, mm-hmm. and it's nowhere near ten times greater nowadays. But it's still around twice as expensive as urea. Even I mean, per okay, pound. so twice as expensive. Is that is that with both uh, urea and hematite? Yes, and like 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 for example, a Uflex type product would be around eleven. Oh, okay. Well, they brought the price way down there yeah. from those early years. Yeah. It's it's around eleven fifty um, or twelve hundred a ton. This was three years ago, and urea is around six fifty or seven hundred a ton. This, again, three years ago. Okay. So, but it's still They're around twice as expensive. I mean, yeah, but t- um, but that makes it. A little more appealing, particularly in some situations like the where you can't water in. Yeah. But again, if you can if you can water in urea, you shut it down completely. 
you don't get the wild ones. Yeah, and I got that question yesterday, like how much water, and I'm, there's a paper that we can go over, we can talk about the depths of water application, following application, and how, how that um, reduces volatilization and so forth. But the, the gist of what I mentioned yesterday, as I, or was it yesterday when I was closing, was that if you're going to apply a product like um, a nitrogen-stabilized urea, and you're going to control the water by applying a quarter inch or some amount of irrigation afterwards, then there might not really be that much use for the additive because simply moving the urea into the soil will greatly reduce urea volatilization by itself without, yes. the, without the additive. And then if you're going to water in, you're going to negate the, the effect of these materials. Now, nitrification inhibitors, that, this paper wasn't on that, but I've mm -hmm. done other work with those. Mm -hmm. And my opinion on that, and, uh, and I don't know, I'd be interested in your opinion on this too. Mm. Uh, a nitrification inhibitor can work in a field crop situation where you can band in the nitrogen and you can keep the level of the nitrification inhibitor high enough in the band that you may see some additional corn yield or something like that. They, they, they brag seven bushels per acre here. I think that's stretching it, but Hmm. They say they got data for that. Now, in turf, you're going to distribute it uniformly through the area, over the area. And there, I don't see any benefit from the nitrification inhibitors. Um, I, would, I would say, yes. I mean, in, yeah, I haven't seen really any compelling evidence to ag agronomically. What I mean that, by that is, is it, is it sustaining a, a, a significant portion of the nitrogen and the ammonium relative to the nitrate form? Is it delaying that? Yeah. It probably is. Um, but even that is pretty weak in the evidence for turf grass and the turf grass literature. It's not that strong, but even if it was fairly strong, the additional cost is that worth yeah. the cost? You know, and yeah. I haven't seen any compelling evidence at all that the inclusion of a, a nitrification inhibitor would be worth the cost to a lawn care operator or a golf course superintendent. I, I couldn't even I couldn't get a response yeah. in the in the field. Now, probably a controlled environment, yes, but yeah. in the field, uh, it's just too widely that you you can't keep the level high enough mm. to um, inhibit nitrification. Whereas you can in, in a band of material. So that's that's opinion, and I've got some data to back that up and so on. But sure. um, uh, of the two, the urease inhibitor probably works better. Yes. And But you can water it in and negate all the effects of that. So yeah. and that I think, I now think, it becomes an e economic question. Yeah, I think Beth did some work on that. I can't remember if she did some work on the watering in, but we'll, we'll get into that. But the, the gist of it is, I think at, in the agricultural row crop world, there, there's much greater evidence and potentially financially you know, competitive evidence that it, you might use it in some cases and see a, a return on your investment. But in turf grass, I just haven't seen hardly anything at all. That's, um, that's what my opinion is on it. It's uh, okay. to make it economically feasible i don't i don't see it. you'd have to convince me with some really sound data yeah that it is and nobody has done that <laughs> well we're on the same page with that let's just do a brief yeah. once over so you did a, um, a a lab study where you looked at volatilization you did a field study in uh 88 uh -huh. and 89 at in at iowa state in ames and you did both the volatilization and the field study on kentucky bluegrass uh, the field study like was looking more at um, clippings and quality, which is what we're going to show in graph format, whereas the, the lab study was just looking at the volatilization. And what happened was you ended up putting out urea, 
And you then you applied urea with two different components. One was MBPT, and the other one was PPD, I think. Yeah, um, that's a little less known one that I don't think is commercial. Yeah, it's another it's, it's another urease inhibitor. Yeah. And you applied these at different rates to the urea. So the MBPT was applied at zero, which would kind of be a check, and then 0 0.25 and then 0.5%. And you applied those twice, once in May and once in July in the field plot. And you measured quality ratings one through nine, with six being the minimum acceptable level, which is very standard today. You did clippings, you collected clippings, and you measured quality uh, in the field. Um, and then in 1989, you adjusted the rates a little bit there, but the same sort of concept would happened the, the following year. And so let's let's do the results, if you don't mind, Dr. Christians. Let's do the results in the in the PowerPoint uh, way. Now, for those of you who uh, are so inclined to go and look at all the results and really want to delve down into it, um, you'll have to pull the paper. But this this graph here, if you can see it, Nick, is is the gaseous loss table. I think it was table two. I think I can't remember. And what this shows is urea, and then you have the MBPT treatments, and then you have the PPD treatments. And what this shows, I'll put yep. the star here where the urea, uh, or I should say, where the uh, urease inhibitors resulted in a significant reduction in urea and ammonia volatilization. We have, for those listening, we have days after application on the x-axis and ammonia volatilization as percent of applied nitrogen on the y-axis. And it goes from one to seven days. So he did it, he measured it every day for the first week. And what we see from PPD and MBPT, regardless of the rate you use, whether it was 0.5% or 0.125% or whatever the rate was that you used of the urease inhibitor, you saw a reduction in the first two days um, from 16% down to about 4 or 5% of what oh, yeah. was... Really, really big reduction. Initially. Yes. And then you saw that, you know, the, the greatest reduction occurred in the first day. And then you saw the urea, the ammonia volatilization um, decline in the second and third day. But there was still a significant reduction when you included the, the urease inhibitor. For the, for the most part, through for each day throughout the first week, there was a day day four there wasn't a difference, but five and six there was a difference, and so forth. So this is what I I I've pressed upon the audience is that these urease inhibitors clearly reduce when when when, when volatilization is going to occur. There is a pretty good chance that the inclusion of urease inhibitors will help reduce that loss, um, partic particularly in glass houses and laboratory studies. But let's go to the, oh, this is the total. Okay, so the total gaseous loss from urea was around 50% in the lab, okay, under under conditions ideal for volatilization. And then you have the MPBT products showing this the total reduction down to about 30. And then as you increase the rate of, of MPBT, you, you gradually decline that down to only about 20% was volatilized using MBPT at 1%. So clearly... There's very, I've mentioned this yesterday, Nick, there's very few soil scientists who are going to argue that urease inhibitors don't have an influence on volatilization, especially in the lab settings. Okay. When you get in the field. That was the first question. Yeah. Go ahead. So it clearly do. And as you know, in research, sometimes you do a study like this and it doesn't. You yeah. know, I've had many things where I anticipated it would work and it didn't. Sure. This, this had a very clearly did work. Yes. For, for volatilization in the lab. And you, you know, yeah. When we go to the field, it's not that it wouldn't do it per se. It's just that it, there's so many other things messing with our system <laughs> that 
it's it's difficult to show in the field much at least much more difficult than it is in laboratory settings where we have much more control over the variables um so gaseous loss now let's go to the quality now in 1988 now what i've shown here nick is only the one pound treatments in 1988 now in 1988 you also had a pound and a half treatment and for those interested in that you can go and look at the tables but i'll just clue you in on it there really wasn't much difference between the one i mean there was a difference in the magnitude of response, but I mean, difference between including MBPT and not including MBPT. And in 1988 and 1989, the only similar uh, rates of nitrogen were the one pound. This is the reason I've only I've chosen the one pound nitrogen application here. And what you all uh, concluded or, or the results were was that the actual urea resulted in a greater quality response in the first week and you postulated that might have been due to some phytotoxicity that resulted from the inclusion of MBPT with the urea during the first week or two. So there might yep. have been a little bit of a, of a harmful effect from MBPT during this first week or two, possibly, if I recall correctly. Is that? Yes. You, yeah, yeah there's a little, there was a little phyto at the higher levels. Um, whether now later on in the paper, I noticed we speculated that that was due to more nitrogen available uh, to the plant and it could have been a nitrogen burn. I, I think from all the work I did, I'd suspect that NBPT can be a little phytotoxic when you get into the high. Okay. Levels. Okay. It didn't show in this paper, but um, yeah. that is my suspicion. But what I like about this particular study, Nick, and some studies are similar to this, but oftentimes you do work and you start many, many scientists in their, you know, they have to play the, the cards they're dealt, but many scientists will start work like this with turf grass that is already acceptable. And then you're looking at a gap from acceptable to more acceptable. So you're, you know, you're splitting hairs here a little bit, but in this study, the control that didn't receive any nitrogen was clearly unacceptable for the entirety of the study in 1988. And so you see the benefit of what's going to happen when I apply a pound of urea, a pound of nitrogen from urea, and you see the increase. So for lawn care operators or for superintendents are going, well, I get what we're going to see from one pound of urea, but this marketing sheet over here says I should be considering these urea, you know, urease inhibitors. Am I really going to see that much of a difference? And in 1988, you didn't see any difference between urea and applying urea with this more expensive additive. Yeah. So. Right. That's true. Um, I, I don't quite remember the weather at that time but any any rain would have shut it down i think in 89 where we did see a response late in the season we probably hit everything just right we put it on the surface mm -hmm. uh it, it didn't get watered in right away we had some additional vocalization and mbpt reduced it enough mm -hmm. that we could pick that up but that's that's stretching things a long ways yeah. to say that that's a huge benefit. Yeah, I think there was, uh, what you're referring to, I think occurred at the lower nitrogen rate in 1989, because here's the 1989 graph with one pound. Now, what you're referring to, as I, I, if I, I can go back and look at the paper, you applied a half a pound as well here, and there were a few little points there when the half a pound was applied where the inclusion of MBPT might have pulled out a little bit. If I recall correctly, yeah, might, might have. <laughs> yeah, if I and, recall correctly, I mean there was some significance. So yeah, uh, you could argue that it did. 
Yeah, so the one pound in 1989, there there wasn't any difference. And like I said, I don't want to be incorrect, uh, but we can go look at the data if you want to. But I, I, for some reason, I do recall the half pound rate actually showing a little bit of a benefit. But here we go again, where the the non treated control is clearly unacceptable. So the, for those people, can, you know, who are dealing with homeowners, they're hey, I'm hiring you up because my lawn doesn't look good. Clearly, this is a very as representative as we can be of that sort of scenario where the turf grass started off poor, it remained poor if you don't apply nitrogen. The question is, well, am I going to get anything more if I apply this additive? And agronomically, with at least with the quality in 89, we didn't see that from one pound of N, okay? When you go to the clippings, it's a very similar story, and I don't want people to get confused here because you see the, these bars vary quite a bit, but there was no statistical differences between the clippings of MBPT compared to one pound of N from urea. So in other words, this blue bar here is the non-treated, and clearly you see an increase in clippings when you apply a pound of N. But when you compare these bars, the difference, would, the difference between this green and purple bar would be you know, the value of MPPT. And we just didn't see that in 19, you all didn't measure that in 1988. The clippings were the same. Now in eight, 1989, yeah. you did. And I think this is also what you're talking about at the end of 1989 with clippings. You all did measure a little bit of an uptick in clipping yield from including MBPT with one pound in. And my suspicion is that weather conditions were just right to see that. Yeah. And yeah. uh, had it, had we got a heavy rain right after application, I, we, we would not have seen that. Okay. Okay. Well, like I said, there's a lot of good information here. And basically it says that there's one point here or one point there where there might have been a little bit of benefit. But let's assume, Nick, if I can, we can just, you know, pontificate here a little bit, is that let's say you saw a little bit of an uptick across the board and the whole, the whole time. Let's actually, you know what, let's go back to, let's go back to this. Let's say... Let's say the the one pound of urea was right here at six the whole time, you know, and the inclusion of MBPT moved it from six to seven. My take, and I would like to know your opinion on this. <clears throat> my take would be the turf grass is not acceptable with no N. When you applied one pound of N from urea, it is acceptable. Whether or not you want to include MBPT at twice the cost to get an extra unit of quality increase, in other words, from six to seven. I leave that up to the to the the business owner. You know, is yeah, that work? That's where I'm at too. It's um, that's the question. Economic um, significance now in sports turf and golf, that may not be as big a question. Maybe it's more environmental issues you're dealing with. Yeah. Um, but um, if if it's bottom line dollars going in, dollars going out. Uh, you've got to make that evaluation. Is it worth it for me to spend that much more money? Mm. And, uh, and, and you're saying if it had done that, it hadn't even done it. So. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't even do it. But this, so, this has no. Yeah. So I'm trying to create like the best possible case for MBPT. Yeah. Like if it actually did result in a response every single week, which it didn't, it only did it in one or two weeks, even yeah. in that yeah. case. We're, I don't know. I mean, I'm not the owner of the company, but if I were, I would start running some, I'd get the calculator out and go, hey, I'm spending twice as much money with this than I am with urea. Is it worth it to me? And I, it'd be up to the owner and to, and to their clientele. Are they expecting that or are they not expecting that? And, you know, I, I don't run business like that. So I, I don't, I don't know. They, <laughs> 
they, they may want to spend it. I don't know. They're pretty careful with their money. I um, I have farmland here in Iowa. Yeah, my brother runs the farm, and I, I'm a partner in it. And we, in that situation, you look at things way differently than you do um, if you're a professor in a university looking at it from an agronomic standpoint. Yeah. Uh, there, there's so many things that they're advertising out there for the farm industry, like nitrification inhibitors and so on, where we look at it and we go, Okay, no, it's not. Uh, it's not worth our money to spend that. So we're always evaluating that. Is it worth the additional cost? And to be worth the additional cost, it's got to give us enough yield to offset the cost of the product. And that's a that's a big stretch. Yeah, and in ag, it's real simple. It's it's yield and it's profit. Profit. Did you make more money? You can you can measure that really clearly. In turf grass, we're dealing with quality. We're dealing with aesthetics. A more subjective measurement, except for sod production. Yep. And it's it's really kind of hard to pin that down because one person's expectations on you know in one lawn is going to be very different sometimes than the very next person down the street. Um, so, but having said all that, it just seems like from I don't want to speak for Doug, but Doug sort of had the similar a similar position. I have the similar position. It sounds I didn't know your position on it. I'm glad to have you on and talk about it because it sounds like you have a similar position. You've been doing this longer than Doug and I have been combined. So, you know, um, it sounds like there may be something there occasionally if the stars align just perfectly. But even in those cases, you got to really look at the cost and determine for your own situation. Is it really worth me spending that much more money on it? Um, let me go to the last part here, Nick, and then we'll wrap it up when we'll be done. The the conclusions, I highlighted a lot of the discussion, but really I just want to go to this red part down here and, and everybody else is welcome to read this on the screen or go to the pull the article. But it says loss of urea nitrogen through ammonia volatilization in laboratory studies was significantly decreased by MBPT and PPD amendments. So there's no no question that, that happened in the lab. But the increased efficiency of the urea did not improve the growth of Kentucky bluegrass. I mean, I like terse statements like that that are straight to the point and someone who can who is not particularly well versed in the scientific language can take that sentence out and go well yeah it reduced urea volatilization but it didn't improve the growth of kentucky bluegrass and in most cases that's what we're concerned about so that's probably my farming background coming back you know like i say it's it's all economics when you're when you're actually in a production system and um that so always in my papers i i deal with that you know yeah this can work but is it economically feasible in some cases it is i've seen things that are definitely economically feasible Mm -hmm. and that's great but there are many things that i can say yes that has some benefit but is it sufficient benefit to offset the cost in many cases it's not yeah well, perfect. I have two closing questions that have, are unrelated to this whole paper, but is there anything else you want to go over in the paper before we close it out, doctor? I'm good. So the two questions are this. You ready? Yep. What turf grass do you have at your, at your house? Oh, <laughs> that's a good, that's a, oh, it's bluegrass, first of all. Okay. Kentucky bluegrass, no rye. Um, uh, I got some tall fescue in a, in a dry spot. We were in our third year of drought, or we're okay. going into a fourth year. And it's and we're in a drought. I mean, the, the drought's killing me. Okay, even if you can always, I've been preaching for years. You can grow bluegrass in this part of the country without irrigation. Well, 
if you don't get three years of drought, you can't. So <laughs> yeah. it is affecting now the cultivars <laughs> mm. <laughs> because I had access to all this residual seed. Um, I, di- I did buy a bag with many different cultivars in it. I went for diversity. Okay, I had many different Kentucky bluegrass cultivars, and then I had seed from NTEP trials and and all this sort of thing. So there must be twenty five or thirty varieties in my in my lawn okay. of Kentucky bluegrass. Okay, yeah, yeah. So it's a highly diverse stand of Kentucky bluegrass, which has been very successful. I've been there twenty years. Mm. The last three, the drought, I've I've, I've actually lost bluegrass. Um, in a couple of, in the last two years, not a lot, but mm. I mean, I lost some spots which I didn't think it was possible. We, we have had severe droughts okay. and, um, I really need some rain this year. <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, last one. If I want you to think about your peers, you've had, and you've had many over the last 40 years. So if, if I were to ask your peers, what is Dr. Christian's best known for in turf grass science? What do you think they would say? Oh, God. Uh, well, nutritional work, soils, um, some soil testing stuff. And then I, I had the, um, I got a patent on a natural product for weed control. Okay. The corn gluten meal that um, probably uh, not so much in my industry, but in the country, I still get calls on that all the time. I mean, I get calls and emails constantly on rates and timing of application and stuff like that. So that's, there's still a lot of that being used out there. So that would probably be from, from the country as a whole, it would be the corn gluten network. Perfect. Dr. Christians, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. It's, I've, it's been All very right. educational for me. Don't go anywhere. Uh, for those um, that are still on, we're going to um, be back in about, what is it? Uh, 10 hours from now. We're going to go over some stuff later tonight at the nine o'clock show. I really appreciate Dr. Christians coming on. Thank you so much. And uh, we will see everybody later tonight at uh, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Thanks so much. Thanks, Doc. Appreciate it.